So we are continuing our series on the Paul's epistles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. And chapter 1, um, as, a, as a brief summary of why we're studying 1 Timothy. Once again, 1 Timothy is Paul's instruction to Timothy, who is serving as a pastor of the church in Ephesus, of what the church ought to be. He gives, Paul gives instruction to Timothy what the church ought to be, what the church ought to do, what the church ought to look like. And the very first thing that Paul talked about in chapter 1 is that the church has to teach the word of God correctly and without, without any worldly contamination. And the second thing that Paul teaches in, in chapter 2 today is a necessity that the church needs to pray for the spiritually lost. Chapter 1 is really about the word of God. The first part of chapter 2 is really about prayer. Combine these things together, and Paul says the very, the one of the most important things that the church has to do is preach the word and pray for the lost. Why? Because it is through the preaching of the word and prayer for the lost that God saves lost people. What is implied here is this. Paul is saying the most important function of the church, one one of the main purposes why the church exists in the world, is to save the lost, is to be used by God to save the lost. I know we have many definitions of what we think the church is. Some of us feel that the church is a place where like-minded people get together, like-minded religious people get together and worship God, which is a valid definition. Some people think the church is an instrument of doing good in the world, right? An avenue where we reach out to and help the marginalized people of society. Some people have that definition of a church, which is, I think, a fair mission of the church. But the primary mission of the church, and the very purpose of why we exist, it is so that God will use us to save the lost. How do we know this? Jesus, in Matthew chapter 23, when he gives the great commission to his disciples, what did he say? He says, go to the ends of the earth. Teach the people my word and teach them to obey everything that I taught you. His commission, his order to the church is to make disciples of all nations. Once again, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus looks at at the lost Israel, and he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Jesus is looking at the world as a huge harvest field, full of people that, 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 that is ready to be saved. But the workers who can reach out and save those lost people are few. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's look at the very purpose of why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to save lost sinners like you and me. And that mission he gives to his people. The church exists so that God can use us to save the lost. And prayer is a very important part of God's saving work to, of, of lost people. Salvation is truly a miraculous work of God. We need to pray because only God can save people. Think about what we're claiming to, claiming to believe. We're saying a carpenter from Nazareth that existed 2,000 years ago is the living God. And, 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 and if you have faith in that Nazarene who existed 2,000 years ago, if you believe that that person died for your sins, and if you believe in him, then the living God will call you his child, and your eternal destiny will change. That's what we claim to believe in. Why don't you take the scientific, you know, scientific method and try to reasonably parse out this truth. Can you? You know, like the scientific method you learn at church? There's an hypothesis. You test that hypothesis in a lab, right? And you write out the results. Use the scientific hypothesis to this claim that Jesus Christ is God. And it is only through him that you are saved. Will you, would a reasonable person come to that conclusion? No, they won't. They won't. Therefore, the ability to see Jesus as God, the ability to, uh, for a person to meet God is a miracle that only God can do. I was listening to a sermon by Francis Chan. Francis Chan for me is an acquired taste because the way he preaches, he always preaches like this, you know, like this. Like, oh my goodness, I can't listen to him. But one of the things that he said struck me. And he was talking about, like, how does a parent disciple a child? And he says, I can give my daughter all the, you know, I can, give my, I can make a religious system for my daughter. I can tell her to go to youth group every Friday. And I can give her a Bible study chart to read every day. Right? And I could, you know, I can make all these systems for her. But she says, unless, he says, but unless she personally meets Jesus Christ, unless the Holy Spirit personally convicts her, unless her inner self meets the living God through the Holy Spirit, then no amount of religious systems can make her love God and belong to him. At its core, Christianity is you encountering the living God and as a result, being radically transformed. How in the world is that possible unless God himself is involved? 
I know you parents, some of you are worrying about the, the, the condition of our Sunday school. And I, I, I understand your worries. And we will try our best to meet the needs. In fact, Pastor Eugene's going down there two weeks to preach to your kids. I want to be there. Someone film it, will you? Someone film it, right? But if you assume that a Sunday school program can transform your kids into Christians, as important as Sunday school programs are, unless God is involved in the life of your children, they will never meet God. For a person to meet God is a God thing that only God can do. And that's why you pray for that. Then you will say, if God can do everything, then why do I need to pray? Good question. If God is sovereign, if God can do anything, why do we need to pray? Good question. I don't know the reason for it, but in the Bible, God designed creation, God designed salvation so that he will move, move through our prayers. God could have designed salvation however he wanted to, but the way he designed it in our world is that he saves people as his people pray. Right? That's what it is. We get to participate with God in the saving work of the lost through our prayers. Guys, my mother, I hope she doesn't hear this. Oh, what a chance that she's listening to this, right? God bless her, love her. She's not, she doesn't know a lot of theology, right? She doesn't know all these theological terms. But that woman prayed and had lunch with people. All their life was praying for people and going to have lunch with people. That's her ministry. All her life. God used her prayers to bring so many people to faith. She couldn't tell you the difference between Reformed theology, Arminian theology, right? Korean shamanistic theology. She doesn't know any of this. All she knows is God is real. All she knows is that she prays for people. And all she knows is that God is using her prayer to save people. God is calling us to participate with him in the saving work of the lost by praying for them. But the problem with the Ephesians church, church in Ephesus, when Paul was writing this letter, the problem with those turkeys was that they weren't praying for the, for the salvation of other people. I'm sorry, that's offensive. They're our brothers, they're not turkeys. They're godly, godly, ignorant people. These people, the issue that Paul is addressing here is that these people were not praying for the lost. Look, there are 27 books in the New Testament. 13 or 14, if you include Hebrews, was written by Paul. So Paul wrote 50% of the New Testament. 
And most of the letters that he wrote, most of the books that he wrote, he wrote to address specific problems of a particular church. First Corinthians comes into mind. When he writes letters to a particular group of people, he's usually addressing some form of error that they're committing. And this is the same thing as he is writing 1 Timothy chapter 2. He is correcting their error. And the error that he's addressing is these Ephesians Christians were not praying for the lost. Why weren't they praying for the lost? I think number one reason is they had bad theology. There are parts of the people in that church who are from the Jewish background. And these Jewish background people, some of them, were teaching a false gospel. Remember, that's what I taught you a couple of weeks ago? They were, they were teaching, look, in order for you to be saved, believing in Jesus in and of itself is not enough. You need Jesus plus obeying certain laws like not getting married. You need to believe Jesus and do certain things like not eating from certain foods. Jesus plus not eating pork belly. All of us here will not be saved, man. Jesus plus not getting married. Josh is the only, these two guys are the only ones who saved here, man. So they're saying, Jesus is not enough. You got to like do something else for salvation. The problem with this mentality is this. If salvation depends upon your effort, I sound, they sound like a Republican. You need to put yourself up, and, you know, put yourself together and be saved. If salvation is solely your own effort, you don't need God's help. No one needs God's help. They just need to listen to the truth and do it. Their mentality of salvation is you can be saved by your, on your own. Therefore, God doesn't have to be involved. Therefore, we don't have to pray for you. ¿El comprende? Second group of false teachers in that church were the good old Gnostics. Remember Gnostics when we studied First John together? Gnosticism is one of the major false, false teachings from the from people of the Greek background. If Ephesus is located in the, a part of the Roman Empire, and a lot of them are from the Greek background. And what Gnosticism is said is this. Gnosticism said, what Gnostics believe is, they believe you need to know certain things to be saved. Like, knowledge, true knowledge of God is hidden, but when you actually start to you know, uncover this. When you discover this knowledge on your own, then you be saved. So it's up to you to uncover this knowledge, Gnostics would say. It is only when you get this knowledge that you be saved. That's similar to what Scientologists believe. Scientologists believe, Tom Cruise, God, God bless him, Right? You need to know certain things about Scientology. You need to know certain things in order for L. Ron Hubbard to come down with a spaceship and beam you up so you can go to the planet Xenu again. 
That's what they really believe in. When you die, Elrond Hubbard's going to come, come with the spaceship and beam your soul so that he will take you to a planet, to your home planet. That's what they really believe in. And they say, in order for Elrond Hubbard to come and rescue you, you need to learn some certain things. Gnostics believe the same thing. You need to uncover certain knowledge to be saved. If it's up to you to uncover knowledge... God doesn't need you to be, you don't need God to save you. You just have to figure out that knowledge for yourself. Bad theology was driving them not to pray for the lost. And it breaks my heart to say, modern churches similarly, are not praying for the lost. Oh, they're praying. But how many of them are actually praying for the lost? Let's go to it. I got to be careful here not to offend anybody, right? Because that's my thing. I don't want to offend people, right? You know me. I don't want to offend you. So let's carefully maneuver these points. Let's go to an early morning prayer meeting or a late night prayer session in a Korean, average Korean church. If you listen to what they pray for, what, are, what is an average Korean old Christian lady praying for? For their kids to get into a good college. For their husbands to be promoted. For their kids to get a job. For them to be healthy. For them to have no troubles in this world. You should pray to God for all things. My son is trying to look for internship. And boy, it doesn't look pretty right now because all the tech companies are laying people off. So I, I prayed for my son's internship. Right? Hey, if, you want, if, if your company is looking for interns, computer science interns, let me know. I'll buy you lunch. Right? It's not a bad thing to pray for these things, but you should pray for, to God for all things. But if this is the primary drive of your prayer, and not anything to do with the lost, with but then with all due respect, your priorities are very different from God's priorities. Because God's number one priority is to save the lost. That's what Jesus came here for. But if our number one priority in our prayers is so that we will be happy here, then you're not really doing God's will, right? Certainly, Western Christians are not as superstitious as Korean Christians. Certainly, Western Christians, non-Asian Christians, they pray for different things. Let's go to an average Caucasian church. Let's see what they pray for. You know what they pray for? For, for healing for medical ailments. Of all the Caucasian churches that I've ever visited, 
during the prayer meeting, it's about health conditions. This person's sick, that person's sick, right? Paul Washer, one of my heroes, says, visit an average American prayer service, and it looks like you're reading from the medical, medical encyclopedia for all these ailments. Are, they're just mentioning all these ailments. It's like people are reading out of the medical encyclopedia. Because if people are just primarily praying for health over these ailments. Look, Jesus healed people, and he is the healer, and I prayed for the healing of one of you guys yesterday. But if the primary purpose of the church's prayer is the physical health of its people and not the spiritual salvation of its people, then with all due respect, your priorities are different from God's priorities. Let's look at prayerlessness. Some of you don't pray. I'm sorry, I don't want to offend it is said that many Christians, not us, we all pray, right? Some, some say many Christians do not pray. What do you, if you ask many Christians, why don't you pray? You'll say, because if you're honest, I have nothing to pray for. I'm good. It's like my children asking me on my birthday, hey, Dad, what do you want for your birthday? I don't know, man. I don't, I'm a simple guy. I don't know. I don't know what to ask you for my birthday. I'm not a kid. When I was a kid, it was like Star Wars action figures and a Millennium Falcon, right? But when I'm, a, when I'm a man, I don't know what I want. Similarly, we don't pray because I think we have everything. Kids are healthy. I have a pretty good job. You know, my spouse can be annoying sometimes, but, you know, that's women and men for you, right? I have nothing. I don't, there's nothing for me to pray for. With all due respect, if you're thinking, if you're not praying because there's nothing for you, if there's nothing for you to pray for, you're missing out on the very, definite, very purpose of prayer, which is to worship God and pray for the lost. Jesus says, Paul says, pray for everyone. Everyone. Pray for the salvation of everyone around you. If you actually take this call seriously, how can you not spend every day of some portion of every day in prayer for people? We don't pray for people. Our prayers are cold. Let's be honest. It's because we don't think people need salvation. Why don't we think people need salvation? Bad theology. Bad theology, number one. We think God loves everyone. God is certainly not going to destine people to hell. Even though we may not say that, for a lot of us, we still have this mentality that God is a God of love. He loves everyone. He's never going to send anyone to hell. Therefore, there's no really need for us to pray for people's salvation because no one really is going to be damned. Right? I don't need to pray for my neighbors. I don't need to pray for my coworkers. Heck, I don't even need to pray for my children because God is not going to send them, any of them, to hell. God is a God of love. 
I understand why you're thinking that way, but that is not the truth that is written in Scripture. And that is not the word written, that's, that's spoken, spoken by Jesus. Read Matthew. Are you guys reading Matthew by any, by, by any chance? I'm reading Matthew every day because I'm afraid of Pastor Ujin. And being, me being afraid of Pastor Ujin is a good thing because I'm getting so much benefit of reading through Matthew. And if, but if you read through certain parts of Matthew, you know Jesus is condemning certain people to eternal hell. So this theology that says God will save everyone at the end, it's contrary to the words of Christ. Bad theology number two. This is for the Calvinist Reformed people like myself. God is sovereign. He will do everything that he will do. If God is sovereign, if he's going to send, do whatever he's going to do, like I said before, I don't need to pray for it. What does my prayer have to do with someone else's salvation if God's going to do what he wants? I'm guilty of thinking this way sometimes. That's incorrect, like I said before. Because God works salvation through the prayers of his people. Look. Paul says it clear in verse 4. God desires everyone to be saved. In verse 3, Paul says, It is pleasing to God to pray for the salvation of everyone because God's desire is for people to be saved. God's highest desire, more, more important than our well-being in this world, it's for, for God to save people. That's his greatest desire. Because God, Jesus is a God is a God of mercy and love. When he looks at people, when he looks at the, the way sin is destroying people, it breaks his heart. How do you know? Once again, read Matthew. In Matthew, you see Jesus healing so many people. He heals the blind. He is a paralytic. He heals the women bleeding. He heals so many people because he has compassion on them. But this is very important for you to understand. Those physical ailments that those people are going through is an external symptom of the sinful world that they're living in. The reason why they're, why they're in pain and why they have all these diseases is either it's because of their own sins or because they're living in a sinful world, sinful world where creation has fallen. These people are suffering because of their own personal sins or because of the sin of the, world, because of the, sin of the fallen creation. That's why when Jesus heals people in Matthew... Jesus doesn't just merely say, I heal you. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. When he says your sins are forgiven, then they get better. This is all to point to tell you, look, people are not well in this world. 
You may think they're well, people are well in this world, but people, every single human being, are not well in this world. They are, they are suffering from spiritual brokenness, physical brokenness, mental brokenness, emotional brokenness, relational brokenness. They are shattered here in this world. Because men and women choose to live life as if God does not exist, they're living in a world of repercussions of that kind of belief. Whoa. Every single person that I know, every single person that I know, without exception, are broken and are suffering in one form or form or way or the other. Every single one. Whoa, is it me? Thank you. Hardly make a difference, does it? Can you have a mic or not? Look, this past week, I got to witness the deterioration of three marriages. One Christian marriage, two unbelieving, unbelieving marriages. Two involving adultery, one involving just unforgiveness. All of them make pretty good money. All of them are the white privileged class of America. And their marriages are spinning out of control. They went to the best schools make more money than all of us will ever possibly imagine. But their marriages and their children are spiring out of control. The Bible said it's because they do not know God. They refuse to acknowledge God. They refuse to acknowledge that this is his world and there are rules in this world. There's a comedian. I don't listen to a stand-up comedy, but I listen to a lot of interviews about comedians. And there is this comedian, like sports. I don't watch sports, but I look at documentaries about sports people. I'm weird that way. And there is this comedian. Filthy material. That's why I don't listen to him. Really dark guy. Addictive, addicted to drugs and alcohol. Like, was abused when he was a child. It's just a tragic story. But this is what he says. He says, if I don't believe that there is a God out there. He's not a Christian, by the way. He says, if I don't think that there's a God out there, my life will spin more out of control, he says. He says, the thought that God exists for me somehow gives me comfort in this world. Otherwise, he says, my life will spiral more out of control. When God looks at this world, he looks at a world that is spiraling out of control. When God looks at your life and my life, he looks at a life that is spiraling out of control without him. We need Jesus Christ to save us because Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And when we have God, when we have Christ, we will start to become whole again.
When Jesus looked at the world spiraling out of control, it broke his heart. That is why he wants his people to pray for salvation. Do you understand? Is it good? Is my mic on? Do I need the mic? Uh, seriously? I, I sound great. So Paul says in chapter 1, in chapter, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, what do you do? You've got to pray for people. How do you pray for people? Verse 1, Paul says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Supplications, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving are the different aspects of how you pray for people. You got to pray for people, but Paul uses these four words to highlight different features that are involved when you're praying for other people. First of all, he says supplications should be lifted up on people. What does Paul mean by supplication? Supplication, the, word, the root word of supplication means lacking. So when Paul says lift up supplications for people, he's saying pray for people who are lacking in something that is very important. And what are they really lacking? They're, look, they're lacking God and his truth and the life that his truth in him gives them. Unbelievers lack the most important thing, which is God and his truth and the eternal life that these things bring to individuals. They lack this. Supplication means pray for people who lack this. And not only, not only do you notice what they're lacking, but you go to the person who can supply what they're lacking, which is God. Supplications means notice what people are truly lacking and go to the only one who can truly give them what they're lacking, which is God. And who can give them God but God himself? That's the number one thing that you need to pray for. Look, when you ask me to pray for you in any topic, you ask me to pray for you, right? I think the Starks asked me to pray for Jennifer, and I did. But you know what? This is what I say. This is, I said, Lord, please, Jennifer, patience, yada, yada, yada. But Lord, give the Starks more light of Christ. Pastor Jay, can you pray for my job interview? Sure I will. Lord, help them give that job, give them wisdom for that job. But at the end of the day, you know how I, how I close it? Lord, but give that person more light of God. Because while it is, I love praying for you, I end up praying that God would give you more of himself to you. Because I know what you need more than anything else, more than Yennefer's well-being, more than that job, is for you to see Christ more and more. That's what you're truly lacking. And it is only God who can give what you're truly lacking. 
Paul says, pray like this for everyone. That's what supplication means. Paul says, supplications and prayers be lifted up. Prayers? I thought we are talking about prayers. When Paul uses the word prayer, he means a specific type of prayer. The prayer that, that looks to the reality of God. Prayer that is done in the faith of God, with the faith of God, for the glory of God. The word prayer that Paul uses in this verse, in Greek, it means, I sound really smart when I say it. Well, I, can, I don't think I, you know. Oh, here we go. Prosushis. That's what it means. But what that, kind of, what that kind of prayer means is prayer that are, prayers that are lifted up. Understanding the reality of God, genuine faith in the reality of God for the glory of God. When you pray for other people, you need to know that God really exists and that God really listens to your prayers. And praying on the behalf of the lost people will glorify his name. Do you understand? Most people, they don't pray because let's face it. You don't think God really exists. There is an old story about a pope who was praying inside a church to God. And when God actually showed up, he was so surprised he died of a heart attack. You get the point of the story? He was praying to God without really thinking that God really exists. Paul says, don't do that. Pray with a living faith that God really exists and that you're praying for the lost and him using your prayers to save the lost is for his glory. How do you glorify God? How do you praise God? How do you please God? How do you glorify God? Pray for the lost. I hear so many people say, when I retire, I'm going to the mission fields. Are you really? Are you really going to go to the mission fields when you're 65 years old? You never really walk with God regularly on your, in, for your entire life? When you're 65, hot dog, you'll change, you'll go to the mission fields? I don't really believe you, but maybe. But more important than you going to the mission fields when you're 65 years old, the way you please God and the way you glorify God is to pray for the lost. Right now, every day, that's what Paul is saying. He says, not only do you lift up supplications and prayers, lift up intercess intercessions. Intercession means intimacy. You know the person, you know the intimate need of the people that you're praying for, and you're praying to the God that you intimately know. Clearly, you can't intimately know every unbeliever that is out there. But you strive to love them. But for the people that in your life that you do know, that you intimately know, you pray to God who intimately knows you. That's what it means. Intercession means not just blanket, heartless prayers, but intimate prayers of people for, for the people that you know and the people that you care for. And you pray to the God that knows that he cares for you. 
And last thing Paul says, lift up thanksgiving. When you pray for other people, you have to lift up thanksgiving before the Lord. What does it mean to lift up thanksgiving before the Lord when you're praying for other people? This means, Paul is saying, when you pray to God on behalf of the lost, be thankful in knowing that God is going to answer your prayers. You pray with the expectation that somehow God is going to use your prayers to make a difference. Look, my dad is saved after my mom prayed for him for many, many years. It took him almost 80 years for my dad to be saved. But oftentimes, you don't see people that you pray for getting saved. Let's be honest. Oftentimes, your life ends like the empire strikes back. Unresolved, Han Solo, further than Carbonate, Jabba the Hutt, Luke Skywalker loses his hand. Oftentimes, your life ends unresolved. And the people that you pray for, you seem like it doesn't make any difference in their lives. But you need to pray with an attitude and a faith that says, if the fact that I prayed to God about this, God is somehow going to use my prayer to make a difference in the person's life and to make a difference in this world. I know when I'm walking and praying sometimes, sometimes I think, will God ever listen to my prayers? But verses like this reminds me, he will. Just because I will not see how he does it, it doesn't mean that he won't. You need to pray with faith and thanksgiving and knowing that just by the fact that you prayed, God is somehow going to make a difference. Whether you see it or not, that's a secondary issue. God is going to honor your prayers. Paul says, pray with these attitudes. Supplication, knowing people what they're lacking. Praying to God with faith and for his glory. Intimately caring for people. And thanksgiving, knowing that God is going to listen to your prayers. These are the attitudes that you must have when you pray for other people. It's not just, oh Lord, save that person. No. Have these factors in mind. Who should you pray to? I'm sorry, who should you, you should pray to God. Who should you pray for? In verse 1, Paul says, pray for everyone. And the reason why he says pray for everyone is because the Ephesians Christians were not praying for everyone. They only were caring about what is happening within the church in Ephesus. Paul is saying, just don't be mindful of the, only the people in, in your immediate church. Just don't only think about people in embrace. Your concern and your passion and your vision and your prayer should be go above the walls of embrace and pray for everyone in the world. Pray for the cashier that serves you at Tarjay, right? Pray for the restaurant that you visited. Pray for your co-worker. I, yesterday, last night, I was so convicted by this. By, by this, I start going to, down the list of my co-workers. And man, I go, man, there are a lot of things to pray for. Right? Then you go to the list of co-workers, you pray for everyone. For God to save them. 
So not only pray for everyone, pray also for the ruler, kings and rulers, he says. The reason why Paul mentions kings and rulers specifically is because sometimes people, are, people think we don't need to pray for our kings and rulers. Why? Because they're powerful and rich. Why do we need to pray for them? They have everything. Do you really need to pray for Jeff Bezos? Mr. I have $100 billion in the bank. Do you really need to pray for Elon? Yeah, you got to pray for Elon Musk. Do you really need to pray? You really, do you like really need to pray for Zuckerberg? Yeah, you got to pray for Zuckerberg. Yeah, I stand corrected. You got to pray for all these people. But like, the natural course of action is if you look at people in their powerful positions, you don't want to pray for them. You want to criticize them. Heard a really good Biden joke recently? Have you heard a really good Trump joke recently? Rulers are supposed to be criticized and mocked. Paul says, no, no, no. You pray for them. Why? Because rulers and people of high government officials may has a direct impact, have direct impact on your life. He says, pray for their salvation so that you will lead quiet and peaceful lives so that you can do the work of the gospel. If the rulers and kings are not converted, they will go after the Christian. They will start persecuting Christians. And if you start persecuting Christians, it's not go well for you, Paul says. Therefore, you need to pray that the government, the governors of Virginia, yay, Glenn Youngkin, right? The president of the United States and their senators, they need to be saved so that the work of the gospel can continue without disturbance. You really need to pray for the kings and the rulers of, of kings, president, president, federal, the leaders of the federal government, and the leaders of your state government and the local government. But Paul says, remember, whether you're a king or a ruler, let alone everyone in the world, all of them have only one God. And all of them, everyone in the world, including kings and rulers, are have one God, and yet. They're at war with God. They're enemies of God because they do not acknowledge God. And because they do not acknowledge God, they are, their lives and their policies are spinning out of control. Do you know what's happening in America right now? Recently, last week, they said, like Biden's, I'm sorry, our president's second, like health advisor said, um, kids, Overweight kids, it's not their fault. It's not what they eat or how much they eat. They're really overweight because you know, of genetics. It's not their fault, they say. So in order to, because it's not their fault, what you need to do for them is you need to give them gastric bypass surgery, like suck the fat out of them, and give them medicine that diabetics eat to melt their fat. It's not what they eat or how much. Dude, I was a fat kid, and I was a fat kid because I just ate too many hamburgers. But the government is saying, it's not my fault. It's not. It's genetics. It is. Therefore, let's cure you with surgery and pills. That's, is that easy? Yes, it's that easy. Because it's never your fault. The government right now is agreeing with these 
insane people. And these insane people are against Christianity. Therefore, and they're making these policies that are against Christianity because they are at war with God. Paul says there's only one mediator between us, between men who are at war with God and with God, that is Jesus Christ. It is only through Jesus Christ that these men everywhere, including rulers and high government officials, can, can be saved. Therefore, you need to pray that Jesus Christ will save them. That's what Paul is saying. Guys, there's so many things to pray for. I'm really proud of myself. I ended in 45 minutes. It's a record. But there's so many things to pray for. How can you say... I'm not, I'm too busy to pray. How can you say, I don't want to pray? How can you say, someone else is going to pray for you? How can you not pray when it's clear as the light of day that that's God's will for you? You have to dust off worldliness and self-focus. And start to frame your life in accordance to God's priorities and God's heart rather than a desire for your own comfort and well-being. And start praying for the lost. For a long time, embrace, we're guilty of just focusing only on our needs, which is important, right? But I think going forward, we need to be more outward-minded. In our prayers, I'll talk to your small group leaders later. In our prayers, publicly, in small groups, and privately, you need to pray for the lost. Because I think that's what God made us for. I don't know how many lost people God is going to use us to fill this room. I have no idea. But whether God fills this room or not with the lost, that is a secondary issue. What we are called to do is to faithfully pray. Embrace God has called you to faithfully pray. And that's what you must do. Let's pray.